0: You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal barakatuh. Welcome to this another edition of Business News with me, your host, Alameen Templeton. Well, it's been an interesting day in some ways, in other ways, it's been a quite a flat kind of business news day today. Um, however, uh, with uh, Boris Johnson uh, taking the helm as a Prime Minister in the UK, I thought uh, we could uh, use this opportunity to take a look at uh, some of the more controversial things Boris Johnson has said during his political career um, and, uh, some of them are hugely embarrassing and in fact some of them on some of the statements he's made in public are not um, are not appropriate to be repeated in public uh, so we won't give you all of the things that boris Johnson, the new u k prime minister As said in the past, but uh, we'll give you a few to give you a basic kind of like a measure of the man who is now sitting atop uh, the British Empire. Well, the the scattered and tattered remnants of the British Empire, I suppose. Other than that, uh, we'll be looking at uh, uh, Vedanta has won a court case against the Zambian government uh, the Appropriations Bill, under discussion in Parliament at the moment, is also looking at getting more funding to other state-owned entities, not just ESCOM. Kumba's first-half earnings have soared more than 239%. Wow. Uh, Huawei first-half growth up 30%. It's a very uh, a very strange, you know, um, you know how everyone is going on about the terrible things happening in South Africa, and South Africa is a basket case and so on. And yet so many of our companies, uh, Anglo, Platinum, Implats, Cumber iron all, are bringing out these huge big earnings increases, like, you know, over 100% uh, earnings increases. Why is it that uh, so many of our on-the-ball uh, economic analysts out there, you know, who love to... Speak about, uh, you know, you've got to think outside the box. You've got to buy when the market is down. You've got to buy when the sentiment is against a stock rather than sentiment is with the stock. All of these kinds of things. Um, our analysts uh, seem to have missed uh, major uh, profit um, generators on the South African Stock Exchange. We've spoken over the last few days about how our stock exchange has grown uh, the most in like 13 years. And yet uh, South African investors have sat on the sidelines on their hands um, complaining about the dark and cursing the dark uh, rather than looking about for the light and chasing that. Yeah, you know, It's a very South African trait, isn't it? You know, uh, the first thing when things start turning a little bit nasty, the first thing we do is we shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh, before we start to sort of chasing after the problems that are causing all of our irritations. Uh, Huawei, first off, growth up more than 30%, and that's despite U.S. sanctions against it. Uh, Iran is storing oil in China, and uh, Trump uh, wades into the Fed once again on interest rates. All of these and more news uh, coming up in the show, uh, inshallah, if we have enough time. Uh, right, well, on the JSE today, we finished in uh, the Northern Territory, a positive territory, up a half a percent for the All Share Index on fifty eight thousand three hundred nine point uh, five nine. The Top Forty Index ending point six one percent up on fifty two thousand two hundred nine point six three. Uh, Rand has had a, has quite a good day as well. I um, had a bit of a resurgent dollar, mainly thanks to. There's been some talk that. Uh, that trade talks with China could uh, could um, be turning uh, turning uh, better. Mm. Uh, why that would affect uh, the dollar, I don't know. But there, there you go. According to Bloomberg's and Reuters, some far off uh, event, which is probably only going to happen next year or maybe even the year after that, is affecting currency values now. Mm. Yes. Okay. Well, it's the strange things about uh, about the property market. I mean, the, the currency market, you know when uh two so-called journalism outlets which control 90 percent of all currency trades in the world uh present themselves as being journalism outlets whereas in actual fact they're just currency trading platforms reuters and bloomberg um well according to them their stories say that you know like um Chinese trade talks, U.S.-China trade talks are affecting currency values today, even though the trade talks, uh, you know, it wasn't going to make any effect on the, on the international markets. Only going to be like in a year, maybe 18 months' time. But nevertheless, apparently, according to Reuters and Bloomberg, they're affecting uh, currency values today, um, and thanks to Bloomberg and Reuters reporting uh, such stories, I suppose. Um, I mean, it would have no effect on currency values if Reuters and Bloomberg weren't reporting that they were having effects. And then all of the mainstream uh, uh, media all around the world, they just go and carry the stories and cut and paste them uh, onto their platforms. And uh, so people get real read these kind of things. And uh, I suppose without questioning these things, you, you might actually believe them. You might actually believe that Reuters and Bloomberg are journalism outlets. Hmm. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, the, the the dollar a little bit stronger today. Also, of course, been helped by uh, Donald Trump's wading in uh, to attack the Fed again, uh, complaining that, you know, we've got almost no uh, inflation uh, here in America, and yet we've got uh, inflation rates of 2.75%. Uh, and uh, in Europe, it's on 0%, and they also don't have inflation. Why don't we have it like Europe has? You know, uh, as far as he's concerned, um, the uh, the stagnating European economy is uh, is on an unfair advantage against the United States. I would say that it is in actual fact. It's also an unfair advantage uh, versus the rest of the world um, at a time when uh, they should be increasing interest rates in order to monetize all of the quantitative easing billions and trillions that they've thrown at their economies. Um of course, earnings uh, coming out of the United States as well also helping the dollar. Uh, of course, it's also been helped by the dollar helping the earnings. What with uh, nearly nearly uh, seven, six and a half trillion dollars being thrown at the U.S. economy, or, or rather at uh, at the, the at the stock exchanges in the United States. Something uh, South African stocks haven't been able to enjoy, although we do kind of like get a um a tangential benefit because uh, the carry trade was of course also created by quantitative easing so in many ways yeah our stocks have also um have also increased rapidly thanks to quantitative easing uh and of also frankenstein stocks frankenstein valuations um Meaning the international sector on the JSE has uh, resulted uh, in those stocks like sort of uh, expanding exponentially, while other undervalued stocks have not. People are starting to ask, "Well, does this mean that there's growth in undervalued stocks? Should be be trying to under, uh, identify these things?" And maybe if you're looking at tweaking your investment investment portfolio, you might want to speak to your advisor. Um, about having a look at under undervalued stocks if it's time to tweak you know or well, you know you might be a, a penny day trader who uh who likes these things, and if you are well, maybe you should have a look at that, although I would just like to say that in many ways you're you're like falling into riba there because you're not really genuinely investing in companies you're just uh t- trying to jump in and out of um out of the system in order to make a bit of money. But that doesn't seem to stop some people, does it? Uh, well, um, okay, right. So gold is on 1,418, a bit of a back foot. Uh, people are starting to say, well, it looks like, uh, you know, is this uh, these tensions over Iran, are they for real? Or are they just attempts by the United States to try and push up the oil price? Um, uh, oil price currently on $63.06. So it's still above that sixty dollar mark. United States want to keep want to keep oil prices above sixty dollars a barrel. Uh, Texas intermediate uh, is, however, still below sixty dollars a barrel. That's the price the United States is getting for its oil. So it means that the fracking uh, oil industry uh, is still they're doing so unprofitably in the United States. All right then. Um, So, Boris Johnson, hmm? unrepentant racist, Uh, uh, upper-class twit of the year, has now made it as the UK Prime Minister. I guess it is a measure of that tiny little um, rain-sodden island uh, that uh, Boris Johnson is the best they can do. But then again, you know, we are Jacob Zuma, so we can't really talk, you know. Well, at least we didn't have George W. Bush. Jeez, can you imagine? At least we don't have Donald Trump. Hmm. Controversial Boris Johnson statements. Hmm. How about having a look at the man that is going to lead the UK, uh, one presumes, uh, at least until the next election. Uh, and uh, what's, what, what is the measure of the man? Let's look at uh, the cut of his soup, of his suit. Um, hmm. Boris Johnson, in 1996, uh, speaking on women in the Labour Party, writing in the Telegraph newspaper. So this is for public consumption. Uh, he went to a Labour Party conference and wrote a piece reviewing you know, female uh, Labour MPs. Um, I, I can't actually uh, repeat it. It's, it's just too... It's it's like a little schoolboy, you know. Uh, it's... Uh, it's, uh, he says, what follows is neither politically correct nor scientific, but he concludes that women are naturally fickle and not thus turn into labor with the polls. So if you're a woman, you're a, well, nevertheless, British woman. love oh, lovely guy. Amazing. Uh, on Gay men in uh, 1998, uh, he wrote, uh, he described gay men as, well, then again, I can't repeat it on the radio, on gay marriage in uh, 2002. Uh, He compared a same-sex marriage to bestiality, Um, and uh, he was totally opposed to gay marriage, which I suppose isn't that bad. On UKIP in 2004, um, that was just nonsense. Voting on Conservative Party in 2005, he said, Voting Tory will cause your wife to have bigger breasts and increase your chances of owning a BMW M3. Now, you know, a 17-year-old would write something like that. Uh, the guy was writing this, around he was around about 40 years old. Um, but then again, you know, it has won him support. So these are the kinds of people who actually support the Conservative Party. These are the kinds of people, 90,000 of them today, uh, decided that Boris Johnson is a guy to lead their country of 66 million people. 90,000 people, who are the kind of people uh, that would uh, support a kind of statement like that, Uh, the kind of the worst of the worst of British society, decided who's going to be the Prime Minister today. On Papua New Guinea and leadership elections in 2006, he said, uh, for 10 years we in the Tory party have become used to Papua New Guinea-style orgies of cannibalism and chief killing. Yeah, Mm. Uh, Hillary Clinton in 2007, she's got dyed blonde hair and pouty lips and a steely blue stare, like a sadistic nurse in a mental hospital. Well, actually, I would agree with that kind of a statement. Um, I don't see why that's, uh, insulting to women. It's insulting to, um, Hillary Clinton, who in herself is insulting to humanity. Um... Tony Blair visiting Africa in 2010, he said, What a relief it must be for Blair to get out of England. It is said that the Queen has come to love the Commonwealth, partly because it supplies her with regular cheering crowds or flag-waving piccaninnies. You know, like uh, some 1970s white guy from Boxburg. Uh, speaking to the Malaysian Prime Minister in 2013, Johnson suggested a 68% rise in Malaysian women attending university was so they could find husbands. Um, uh, on Vladimir Putin in 2015, he said, Despite looking a bit like Dobby, the house elf, he is a ruthless and manipulative tyrant. All right, so now this is the guy who's now going to have to go and deal with Vladimir Putin. On the EU in twenty sixteen he said Napoleon, Hitler, various people tried this out and it ends tragically. The EU is trying to do this by different methods. All right. So no one no friends in the EU. No friends in Russia. No friends in Malaysia. No friends in Papua New Guinea. Um, oh, no, no friends among the Democrats in the United States to whom Hillary Clinton is like Mother Teresa. Uh no friends in Papua New Guinea. Um you keep uh, the, the the gays are also of course uh, uh, no friends. Um, Hillary Clinton, flag waving piccaninnies. Uh, that's the uh, prime minister of the Europe, of the United Kingdom. Um, no friends in the EU. On President Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey, he said in 2016, there was a young fellow from Ankara, and he wrote a. Uh, kind of like, uh, you know, you remember when you stand at five or six, you really thought, you know, by writing a rude uh, little limerick uh, that you were actually like uh, close to Wordsworth or Shakespeare or something like that. Well, this is the kind of poem uh, that the now uh, awaiting, Prime Minister in Waiting for the UK wrote. Um and uh, something about sowing wild oats, uh, a goat, and all kinds of nonsense like that. On Donald Trump, who's now said that yes, he's going to make a terrific, a terrific um, UK prime minister. Donald Trump tweeted today. Uh, they've decided that they're now going to like each other for for benefits of of lucrative gain. On Donald Trump, he said, in 2016, I would invite him to come and see the whole of London, except that I wouldn't want to expose Londoners to any risk of meeting Donald Trump. And yet he's like cut from the same cloth. Um, uh, uh, on the n- n- now, this is a really serious one. Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe in 2017, a British-Iranian... Um, citizen who is under unlawful incarceration, apparently, in Iran. Johnson mistakenly told Iranian ministers that the charity worker had been teaching journalism in the country. He condemned a conviction for spying, and they had been hoping to aid her release during his visit to Iran, but his comments were later cited as proof by Iran that she was engaged in propaganda against the regime. This is the kind of guy you don't want to have on your side, um, and uh, that is why I'm actually delighted that he has been, that he has been uh, nominated. Uh, tomorrow he's due to be uh, ushered in as the prime minister, Mrs. C. Elizabeth uh, windsor saxe Coburg, uh, the Queen. Yeah, the, the 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 Windsor family's name, in actual fact, uh, surname isn't actually Windsor. Uh, The Windsor family is actually a German family. Yeah, yeah, German family. As a result of Prince Albert of Germany, they're marrying um, Queen Victoria, you know, in the 1800s. And funnily enough, you know, uh, Prince Albert marrying uh, uh, Queen Victoria um, resulted in the British language changing. Uh, Until that time, uh, the upper class uh, British accent was much like uh, kind of something you get out of uh, New England uh, in the United States. That's more kind of akin to the way that the upper class in England used to speak. Uh, Nowadays, they speak like this, you know. And in actual fact, it was a result of Prince Albert marrying Queen Elizabeth that the, you see uh, prince albert came over and he was married to the queen and then he's in the court you know and in the court all the courtiers they want to support the uh, monarchy and so when the monarchy starts speaking strange well then, you know the um, uh, the uh, they, the British then around the Queen. They started changing their accent as well, and uh, as it changed, and the um, the circle grew bigger, and so the language slowly started speaking. The British started speaking like this. Yes, in actual fact, the British speaking like this is a result of a German influence of British Albert of Prince Albert of marrying Queen Victoria. So as a result of that, the family's name changed to Saxe-Coburg, uh, which was uh, Prince Albert's uh, surname, Albert Saxe-Coburg, for Germany. Hello, how are you? Uh, Wiedersehen. Um, and, uh, well, uh, changed the British accent, and um, yeah, changed the, the British family's uh, surname to Saxe-Coburg. And then when uh, World War One broke out, uh, the British royals were a bit of a bit of an embarrassment, you know, like they're all Germans and they're the royal family ruling England and they're fighting against Germany. And as a result of that, they changed the name to Windsor. So there you have a little bit of history for you. Uh, South Africans High Court uh, today uh, ordered the Zambian government to hold the sale of Vedanta resources majority on Concola copper mines, or KCM, until a final decision is made through arbitration. Uh, Zambia reckons that concola has been breaching its license agreements um, and as a result of that uh, because it's a 20% stakeholder in um, uh, in uh, concola it uh, says that it now wants to uh, liquidate it Vedanta is of course the majority uh, shareholder in the mine and uh, says that it's been it's been targeted Is calling us uh, talking about resource nationalism in Africa. Really, there's nothing, well, very few things uh, get my goat more than um, uh, you know, uh, African countries being accused of resource nationalism. You know, because uh, resource nationalism is in actual fact um, um, exercised by Europe and America on a daily basis, the worst of the worst being Switzerland, Britain, and the United States. Um, they stockpile minerals. They manipulate mineral prices. You see, financial nationalism is perfectly fine. But when it comes to Africa not wanting to uh, share their minerals and wanting to hold on to minerals in order to try and get a better price because we've always been robbed by um, those other countries, then suddenly we are engaging in resource nationalism. Whereas in actual fact, we've been accused of this by countries that see nothing wrong with waging financial nationalism um, or banking nationalism, how they have been ravaging Africa for so many years with their uh, economic restructuring plans from the World Bank and the International uh, Monetary Fund. Um, Mumbai-listed Vedanta claims uh, denies that uh, CONCOLA has broken the terms of its license and says it will defend its assets uh, in the African country. Uh, High Court Judge Lester Adams uh, said today, in a ruling it seems a big win for Vedanta, that wind-up proceedings must be immediately withdrawn until a final decision is made following arbitration. says pending the arbitration agreements, Um, the government of Zambia is interdicted and restrained from taking any further steps uh, in the winding up of proceedings. Zambia's mine minister Richard Musukwa said the government had advised its attorneys in South Africa to appeal the judgment uh, noting that foreign judgments were not enforceable in Zambia until they were registered in local courts. To that effect, it has no effect on the processes going on in Zambia, Musukwa said during a press briefing. Vedanta has welcomed the court ruling and said it is committed to resolving the dispute. We still don't know exactly what the dispute is about. Um, uh, Peter Leon, who is brother of Tony Leon, uh, said something, uh, and I'm not going to repeat it because um, I, I can't stand the man. I can't stand the man. Really, really, really. He's a real poisonous dwarf. If, uh, if, I, if I've ever met anyone who's a poisonous dwarf, it's Tony Leon's brother, Peter. But there you go. Um, so I'm not going to repeat what he said. Uh, Masuga said last week Zambia, Zambia expects bid for Konkola to be submitted in weeks by nine companies from Russia, Turkey, Australia, Canada, and China, even as the court case are over Concola 's ownership uh, continues. Right, so uh, today uh, Parliament uh, has been discussing the Appropriations Bill. Now the Appropriations Bill is there to try and appropriate uh, money from other funds uh, in Parliament when suddenly, uh, you know, it's halfway through the financial year. In fact, it's not even halfway through the financial year. And uh, suddenly the government finds itself running out of money. Then it has to appropriate funds uh, from other sources. Uh, And it's called an appropriations bill because it was not planned uh, in the budget. It was not mentioned in the budget. And so, like I know, monies have been allocated to funds according to the budget. And now Parliament has to pass a bill in order to make it legal to take money which Parliament had previously said was going to one project and now you want to send it to another project. Tina Mawaini said today, listen, this is necessary. Uh, because really, uh, you know, he keeps on going on about, you know, not handing a blank check over to state-owned enterprises. But when it comes to uh, to vital uh, services, I'm afraid, you know, uh, if you don't have the leadership, the guts or the backbone or the ability or the moral fiber uh, in order to enforce changes that are needed, then in actual fact you will just continue writing blank checks. And so every time we find these jokers writing a blank check, then you know that the previous statements they made were just a lot of nonsense. And probably the statements they're making now are also a lot of nonsense. So anyway, Tietan Boweni, who seems to prefer spending his days uh, cooking stews in Ghiyani, uh which is where he comes from, up there in Limpopo, um... He kind of like uh, jets down to Cape Town, uh, you know, in order to make some uh, facetious statements, and then and then disappears again. So basically, he's saying, yeah, yeah, we're not handing out blank checks, but of course, he is handing out blank checks. That's exactly what he is doing. Um, and he says, uh, "Yeah, government will be in a position as a result of the appropriations bill to make allocations to sp- to support other state-owned enterprises like the SABC, Denel, and SAA, all of which are also recidivist um, uh, spenders. They, they, they are prodigals. Uh, you know, they, they, they there should be legal action taken against them." Uh, You know, we can, in actual fact, do without the SABC. You can hardly say that the SABC is providing um, essential services to South Africa. In fact, it it, it may be an essential service to South Africa to just shut the SABC down. Mm -hmm. Is that being nasty or mean? Um, I mean, it's it's, uh, throwing money at soapies, at least producing local productions and so on. Uh, but it's doing so of, uh, in far in excess of its budget, and uh, its uh, executives uh, see no reason why they should rein in their spending if government is going to do nothing about it. They see uh, ESCOM, they see SAA, and they say, listen, we're, we're journalists and we don't actually understand figures. In fact, you know, they, they, they say there are three kinds of journalists, those who can count and those who can't. Mm. Uh, Well, anyway, so, yeah, the SABC journalists uh, reckon they'll continue spending money if the government's not going to stop ESCOM from doing so. Uh, I guess uh, South African Airways is still saying the same thing, and now probably too. Uh, So, anyway, then Mbaweni standing up uh, doing um, uh, the Ramaphosa idiot um, performance um, also says that, listen, uh, we're going to have to chuck this money at ESCOM because uh, this year we're expecting lower taxation and we're expecting increasing borrowing costs. So, so we've got to get money and we've got to start doing something now. Hmm. Uh, so basically, you know, putting the country over a barrel, no leadership coming out from the president, you know. It's, it's very easy to make speeches and so on. But it, it seems to me that basically what these jokers are doing is just buying time. It's a bit like Gaza, I mean uh, Israel in 2008, um, uh, tweaking uh, the Gaza peace talks after its Operation Cast Lead, uh, which was in actual fact nothing more than um, a performance designed to attract attention from the fact that uh, apartheid Israel was busy stealing the Leviathan oil field um, oil and gas reserves from Gaza. but, you know, uh, yeah, I know we'll, e- we'll engage in talks uh, and then we'll talk and we'll talk and we'll make all kinds of promises, but all we're doing is we're just buying a little time to distract you from uh, the real business at hand. And I kind of wonder, you know, is the real business at hand? this uh, naspa 's is taking a trillion rand out of South Africa. Tietan Buweni is saying nothing about it. He's saying, you know what, we, we, we're not going to have enough money, uh, to, uh, not enough tax returns. Uh, there's, uh, you know, we're not going to be getting... Um, going to have a high financing bills and all of these kinds of things. And, you know, we're desperately trying to attract foreign direct investment into South Africa. But we're going to say nothing about NASPOWS taking a trillion rand overseas to list uh, a European tech giant called Process. What an ugly name. It's like Munitoria. I think they should have called it Munitoria. I think that was the ugliest name that came out of Pretoria. It's a municipal building in Pretoria. I think they're actually closing it down now. Well, it was called Munitoria. So anytime you wanted to pay your bills, you want to get anything done with the municipality in Pretoria, you went to visit the Munitoria building. Well, you know, two buffels met een Cool doodgeskiet van you know, Afrikaans does uh, does lend itself to some really uh, colourful names, but uh, really, the imagination of the upper classes uh, in uh, in the, the Afrikaner fraternity uh, leave much to be desired. Process, we gain overseas, and we are going to Amsterdam. So, of course, you know they're going back to going back to Holland after you know three hundred years of failed attempt to like sort of take over Africa, taking all their filthy gains with them. And Tito when he saying nothing about it. He's holding out the begging bowl. Uh, he's saying there's nothing we can do, uh, but we're going to say nothing about Naspas, the mouthpiece of apartheid, now uh, taking a trillion rand out of the country. Tito when is saying nothing about it. Sula Ramaphosa is saying nothing about it. Pravin Gordon is saying nothing about it. Public protectors say nothing about it. Even the economic freedom fighters are saying nothing about it. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Now isn't it strange? I mean, these are the quarters where you would expect somebody to say something about it. I mean, how about how about KSATU? Hmm, KSATU is saying nothing about it as well, and not even the South African Communist Party. I suppose the South African Communist Party would have something to say about it if, like, say, a spouse was using the South African Communist Party logo to show that it had been approved by the left wing or something, then they might complain, like, you know, there's been copyright breach or, um, you know, patent breach here. You're not allowed to use our logo. Uh, you might have got the South African Communist Party complaining about something like that, you know, abuse of its private property. Uh, but, yeah, nothing being said about that. Instead, the Buweni, our so-called finance minister, is standing there with his capping hand, saying we're not going to give a blank check. So you just know, you know, you, you can't believe anything coming out of the guy's mouth. Uh, I mean, I've told you before that I actually doubt that Tietan Baweni really exists. I suspect that it's actually Chris Stoltz in one of those uh, sumo, wrestler body, sumo wrestler body suits. But, like, you know, they said this, uh, they've, they've kind of like painted it brown and they say this guy's name is Titan Boweni. Uh, but it's actually Chris Stoltz in, inside a Sumo wrestler body suit. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, you can't believe anything Titan Boweni says. He's a joke. Um, he was a joke as, as a Reserve Bank uh, governor. I mean, he he really tipped South Africa into recession. He was the one who like broke the knees uh, on the legs of South Africa's momentum coming out of the uh, the Mandela years, out of the Mbeki years. He was the one who raised interest rates and destroyed South African growth. When he took over as far as a Reserve Bank governor, uh, South African growth was around about five point five percent. And even before the international credit crunch hit, T. Timberwene had cut our growth to less than 3% in his few years at the home of the South African Reserve Bank. Um, A little bit more criticism on the South African Reserve Bank when we come back. Uh, I'm sorry, I just can't resist. Uh, But we've got to cross quickly to the marketplace for a bit of news from the sponsors. You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'an. Marakas al Alaikum. Welcome back. Well, <clears throat> as we were speaking before the break, former Reserve Bank Governor, now our Finance Minister, uh, is standing capping hand in Parliament again, uh, wanting more money uh, to throw out state owned enterprises, primarily ESCOM. And he says it's the biggest risk to our economy and it's very dangerous it's too big to fail. Uh, people in now starting to say, well, in actual fact, you know what, ESCOM is too big to save. It's too big of a problem. You must just shut it down. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we will we, we'll return to, um, you know, knocking two rocks of flint together and uh, <laughs> blowing at a, a little bit of grass uh, in in the cup of our hands. Um, you know, we've still got a lot of coal in the country could just start distributing coal to houses on a, on a daily basis rather than trying to distribute electricity it's probably going to be easier that way sure we're going to choke ourselves to death in the smoke but you know at, at, at least we'll have a regular power supply hmm? um yeah Maweni is saying today that uh uh yeah we need we we need to get this uh this uh this money this appropriations bill passed uh and uh you and he he's stressed According to reports, he stressed financial support will not be made freely available as conditions will be attached to them. You promise to spend all this money? You promise to leave nothing behind? Yes, we promise. Okay, that's the condition for you getting this money. Uh, the SABC, he says, for example, has requested 3.2 billion Rand from Treasury. He says, we will not just make that available tomorrow. Maybe, uh, maybe by Friday we will. We will release it in chunks as certain conditions are met to make sure there is progress in improving the organization. And who's going to say whether there has been progress or not? You know, If the organization is no longer capable, um, who Who's going to be? You know, he speaks about these uh, restructuring officers he's going to pass. He was, he was supposed to name one today, I think, for ESCOM. I haven't seen any news reports uh, saying who that is going to be. And whoever is going to be, it's, it's the most unfortunate situation. I guess in many ways it's fortunate that the chief executive resigned uh, recently. Because basically the chief uh, restructuring officer is going to be doing the, the job of the chief, um, oper- uh, the chief executive officer. Uh, the chief executive officer obviously left because uh, what's the use of him uh, holding on to a job that's going to have everything redone uh, by the the reorganization officer, a restructuring officer as they call it, and uh, all the time, you know, you've got Private Gordon uh, looking over your shoulder trying to see what you're doing and say, no, don't do that, do this. Um, uh, yeah so things uh, things not looking good over there hmm. yeah so uh, while Tito Mboweni was a reserve bank governor okay South African growth rate in 2006 was approaching 5.5% we were really at last for the first time since 1994 approaching that magical 6% growth rate we were told was necessary in order to cut back on unemployment to create more jobs than we create school leavers every year uh, and we were there we were on track to do it and that is when the te started increasing interest rates now you consider that the uh inflation targeting band of the reserve bank is between three and six percent We weren't breaching six percent uh we were on uh five <clears throat> i think our inflation rate was around about five five percent five and a half percent Our growth rate was also five five and a half percent uh so now you know. If uh, the Reserve Bank's inflation targeting banned, the effect of it is that we will never, ever, 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 ever be able to uh, counteract unemployment in the country with this kind of systemic choke on our carotid and jugular uh, arteries and veins. Uh, because any time we start getting that kind of economic growth and vitality in South Africa, the Reserve Bank is just going to choke and strangle it all, just like Titambuene did. Just like last year, Lesetje Kanyago, I go on about this all the time. In November, he increased interest rates as we just slipped into recession. We just slipped into recession, and they increased the interest rates. Now they've, uh, they've decreased the interest rates, but uh, uh, the only reason, it's the same reason as why they increased interest rates last year, because the U.S. Fed the next month also increased its interest rates. We're always foreshadowing the U.S. Fed. We've uh, entered into an alignment of uh, reserve banks across the world, not according to agreement by the countries, but according to agreement at the Bank of International Settlements. This has got nothing to do with South Africa's interests. The monies are now being manipulated by our South African Reserve Bank according to the dictates of the Bank of International Settlements, which is basically an association and a, a confederation of all the world's reserve banks. He used to regularly vote uh, the uh, Apartheid Reserve banker, as the Reserve Bank of the Year. Hmm. That was because he was ensuring that uh, you know the money continued to flow out of South Africa. He did all kinds of dodgy things. Uh, to ensure that the profits would flow. Um, We've spoken about it before. Not going to go into detail there. All right, so South African uh, miner Kumba Iron Oil saw first-year oil earnings, saw 239%, uh, it reported this morning. Uh, That's thanks to higher iron ore prices and a weaker rand-dollar exchange rate. Uh, Shares uh, jumped more than 6%. Uh, after headline earnings were reported at uh, 10.1 billion rands uh, for January to June, up from 3 billion a year ago. But the shares then gave up most of these gains, as analysts said the high iron ore price was unsustainable. Well, I mean, you know, if you had bought beforehand, you were happy. Kuma's headline earnings a share came in at 31.51 for the six months. Compared to fifty one a year earlier, total revenue jumped 77% to 34.5 billion rand, driven largely by a 57% increase in iron ore prices at 108 rand a ton and rand, weakening by an average of 16% against the dollar. And that iron ore price was largely driven by uh, increased municipal spending in, in China spending on infrastructure. Infrastructure always takes a lot of iron, so iron are becoming a main, a major uh, iron ore consumer uh, this year. Uh, there's uh, uh, There may be a temporary shortage now, according to Wayne McCurry of F&B Wealth, uh, but he says uh, the, uh, the price above 100 tons is unsustainable as there's a lot of supply coming online. Uh, so uh, that may be true, that may not be true. Um, but, as a result of that uh, the the, the gains slipped back a little. Uh, the companies also suffered operational issues due to unscheduled plant maintenance, reduced volumes by eleven percent It said um, it increased volumes by twelve percent in the second quarter, but mar- production was still marginally down over the previous year 's reporting period. Uh, The company said, while it expects higher iron ore prices to encourage rival producers to enter the market, it expects the impact to be limited. Now, Huawei has been under significant pressure from the United States almost this entire year. Um, Its uh, chief financial officer, the son of the founder of the company, uh, was arrested in Canada, uh, resulting in a major tiff between the United States and China, and also, of course, between China and Canada. Uh, and it, it's been under pressure. It was cut off from uh, Google's Android um, operating system. It was cut off from all kinds of operating chips being manufactured by uh, Qualcomm and so on in the United States. It's had to like kind of cut and paste and and get things going. It's had to um, design its own operating system. It's had to start designing chips. But apparently, all of this was expected. Um, and uh, despite the harsher conditions, uh, Huawei increased its revenue growth by 30% in the first half, to 30% rather, in the first half. Uh, two months into the Trump administration ban to cut Huawei from American suppliers, uh, Huawei is starting to feel the pinch. Still, while revenue growth of 30% marks a slowdown from 39% in 2019's first three months, it was up sharply from 2018. Uh, executives told staff uh, they were relieved it hadn't been worse. The question is, how long can it keep it up? Huawei is pulling out all the stops to boost sales. It's got 10,000 developers across three shifts a day to try and work on alternatives to American software and chips. Uh, so far, it's managed to boost revenue by aggressively securing contracts for fifth-generation networking equipment. Meanwhile, it's boosting internal morale granting awards to a number of employees that are helping it avert an immediate crisis. The recipients remain responsible for hoarding components ahead of the ban, identifying replacements for American parts, or negotiating with suppliers to keep up the flow of materials. It wasn't clear if they had got actual financial remuneration. And nevertheless, Huawei remains on shaky ground. It's still on a U.S. blacklist, and uh, the software it needs to run its smartphone and networking businesses isn't uh, turning out to be that great. Uh, billionaire founder Ren Zengfei uh, said just last month that the sanctions would curtail its revenue by about $30 billion in the coming two years, wiping out its growth. It's now making adjustments to uh, its plans, uh, reassigning employers uh, to faster-growing consumer divisions. It says numbers are preliminary and subject to change. Uh, representative from Huawei uh, did not comment, uh, saying it will release official first-half numbers on July 30. Um, As <clears throat> growing dominance in 5G networking, uh, the technology expected to power a modern economy and drive innovation from self-driving cars to robot surgery, lies at the center of U.S.-Chinese tensions. Both sides are moving towards their first face-to-face trade negotiations in months, taking another step towards potentially easing curbs on Huawei. U.S. companies have lobbied Washington to lift these restrictions, arguing the Chinese corporation could easily find replacements elsewhere. Mm, uh, I don't think it's going to be that easy. But what's happening is uh, these companies are now losing a major source of their business, you see. Now, Huawei, the biggest uh, smartphone company in the world, Uh, you know, it must be easily on on many of those companies like Qualcomm and so on, maybe about 30% of their business. Suddenly it's gone. Uh, How about Google? Um cutting it out of Android means that uh, Google is essentially cutting its uh, its adver- itself out of the advertising market uh in uh, western and uh, and well uh, in eastern and Southeast Asia other than japan uh we're always with such dominance there uh that you know okay so we're not going to be using Google anymore well that's fine then we'll go and use something else uh but Google makes all of its money. Uh, by getting uh advertisers um and, and and getting users to use Google Chrome, you see uh so every time you do a search on Google Chrome advertisers uh sites are listed first unless you go and change to uh to date rather than um allowing Google to do it for you and uh yeah, so now suddenly Google is having all all, all of that market cut out from it it's it's and it's saying well now we can't afford this. So they're looking for special exceptions to be made for Huawei. Um, Huawei has no business presence in the Democratic Republic of Korea, uh, It said. It's it's apparently trying um, uh, to help uh, people are saying. It uh, may have partnered with a Chinese state-owned firm to help North Korea build and maintain its wireless network. But it says it's fully committed to comply with all laws and regulations in the countries and regions where they operate, including all export, control and sanctions laws and regulations of the UN, US and EU. Uh, Despite uh, solid first-half results, it remains on a war footing. Executives have told staff to brace for tougher tougher times over the remainder of the year. Uh, The impact of the US ban also wasn't fully reflected in the interim results since the sanctions only took effect in May. Uh, Huawei is still unable to sell certain 5G products to lucrative markets uh, such as Japan, New Zealand, and Australia, thanks to U.S. lobbying. Ren himself is warned of a a strategic scale back, saying the company of more than 180,000 employees needed an orderly withdrawal from certain businesses. Mm. So anyway, yeah, you know, uh, U.S. playing dirty everywhere, Uh, also unilaterally imposing sanctions on Iran and threatening everyone else for not obeying its laws. Um, uh, that's really like uh, like expanding your notion of indispensable nation. Now, our laws are indispensable. The American democracy is so strong they can they can elect leaders for for Venezuela. Um, uh, Donald Trump is saying this is going to be a good leader and he's going to be a bad leader. I'm like, is there anyone is interested in his opinion? He's entertaining though, you know, a, a bit like a a very bad comedian. Um And, of course, Iran is also one of the countries that has been subject to his its cancellation of the nuclear accord last year, has caused all kinds of ructions across the world, underlining the fact that the United States is an unreliable partner in anything, in anything. United States is only going to serve its own interests if it enters into agreement with you today, Uh, tomorrow it'll turn around and say something 180 degrees opposite to what it said yesterday. Uh, You see now uh, Donald Trump is, uh, he claimed we meeting Imran Khan. He's really turning into a disappointment of a leader as well, isn't he? Just because you're uh, a good cricket player doesn't mean you're going to make a good politician. Uh, So Imran Khan is uh, is basically almost going down on his knees in front of the cameras, uh, in front of Donald Trump, in the White House, and saying, oh, oh no, you know, America is such a wonderful nation, and we we would love America to come and and, and negotiate and mediate an agreement on Kashmir. Imagine Donald Trump having the final say on Kashmir. Hmm? That's what Imran Khan uh, wants. And uh, then uh, Donald Trump, being the inveterate liar that he is, in front of all the cameras said, yes, you are, you know, I was meeting Morty just the other week. And he suggested the same thing. And I would love to be the mediator. Uh, in Kashmir, I would just love it, uh, you know. I would just love it. You are in agreement with it, and I am in agreement with it. And you're like one of the best people I've ever met, and I'm one of the best people in the world. In fact, I am the best people person in the world. In fact, I'm almost the best people in the world because I'm so great. There's almost uh, a thousand of me. Um, yeah, and and Modi, he's also fantastic as well. And 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 your two countries, they're not one of those whole countries that I was speaking about a while back. Uh, Your deals are fantastic, really. What a fantastic, wonderful country you have in in Pakistan. And uh, wow, India is also really indispensable. It's really wonderful. And I would love to be the mediator. Then uh, Modi pipes up uh, in um, uh, a statement a few hours later. I said nothing of the sort with Trump. We spoke nothing. I did not request Donald Trump to mediate the Kashmir issue at all. I mean, the guy has to be insane. You know, um, I live in uh, Extension 2 in Linasia. There are drug and alcohol, child abuse, spouse abuse, intergenerational poverty, all of these things all around me. And I regularly meet people like Donald Trump. But usually they're like walking uh, out of a crack house, uh, you know, after a 12-hour binge when they say the kind of things in the same kind of way that Donald Trump does. I mean, uh, either, the gay, either, either the guy, I don't know, you know, I think maybe Donald Trump is a crackhead. He might, in actual fact, be a crackhead. Why, 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 why does he make these kind of crazy statements? You know, Um uh, he, in a, in a way, like you know, he's a he's a consummate wheeler and dealer, but that means that you're a, a consummate liar and a thief. You know, he's yeah, he's supposedly the master of the deal, and you're like he'll say anything to make it sound good at the moment. Uh, but as soon as uh, very very shortly after that, that warm fuzzy feeling you get uh, gets a bucket of ice cold water thrown in his face. <coughs> So Iran also facing the ire of Donald Trump and uh, to avoid the effects of sanctions on on its oil sales, it's apparently squirreling away billions, millions of barrels of oil in storage tanks at Chinese ports, avoiding a breach of U.S. sanctions while providing its bigot spy with a ready supply of crude to tap if supply is disrupted or sanctions are lifted. Um, I wonder if uh, it's going to be able to sell that oil out of out of Chinese ports. Uh, yeah, it would be a great way for China to get its Belt Road Initiative really up and going. It's really interesting to have a look at that. How uh, China is building uh, railway connections, road connections, sea um, route connections. is building port operations in all kinds of countries all around the world. Even has even built a railway line between Medina and Makkah. Yeah, in Saudi Arabia. Um building a, a railway line, which I suppose one day will will cut across Africa from east to west, uh, meaning that uh, ships are no longer going to have to sail all the way around South Africa or all the way around Cape Town and Simonstown uh, in order to go from one side of Africa to the other. You'll be able to stop at a port uh, maybe somewhere in um, in Senegal you drop of your goods there. You put it onto rail. It's going to be taken across the African continent in a matter of hours. And uh, there will be another ship waiting on the other side. And it's going to greatly speed up, well, I don't know, a trans-Atlantic, uh, transatlantic specific trade. Uh, and basically it's going to cut South Africa out of the loop. Isn't that strange? Hmm. But then again, that's what you get from being right down on the toe end of Africa. Uh, it's very difficult to be the gateway to Africa when you're right at the bottom. You know, uh, Kenya increasingly is is stepping up to the is stepping up to the mark, claiming to be the real gateway to to Africa because of its proximity to the Middle East, uh, to the Strait of Hormuz, as it is close to the the Red Sea uh, trade route. Uh, there's major; it's it's right on the the major trade lanes across. The world. And uh, and as a result, I reckon Kenya is a far better proposition for a gateway to Africa than South Africa is. And uh, you know, we we we, we had uh, we had a jump on the rest of the African nations back in nineteen ninety four, but that premium has slowly been eroded over the years, and uh, we are in a position now where other African countries are actually getting ahead of us. Nevertheless, uh, the Trump administration when it strengthened sanctions on purchases of Iranian oil in may uh, when it ex- it also ended exemptions for China, Japan, and other countries. The restrictions are intended to wipe out iran's oil exports and force it to strike a deal that limits uh, well brings it uh, makes it obey America. However, Iran has continued to ship large amounts of crude oil to China with they placed in bonded storage. Uh, Sources say the fuel doesn't pass through Chinese customs, meaning it's not reflected in national import data and therefore avoids sanctions. And also it means that uh, um, Iran can then also sell it to other people. So rather than sending out of Iran, it's now sending out of China. China received about 12 million barrels of Iranian crude from January through May, significantly more than the 12 million barrels that cleared customs during that period. The secret of flow shows no sign of slowing. A dozen oil tankers and tankers owned by the state-run National Iranian Oil Company with combined capacity of 20 million barrels of oil are traveling towards China, or waiting off its coast. Most of the oil already in the storage tanks is owned by Iran, but some of it represents payment to Chinese entities that have invested in Iran. Both so Iran is paying for paying in oil increasingly. You know, barter banks are starting to take off. Uh, maybe we should have a look at that for tomorrow's show. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting little idea. And in the meantime, you know, Donald Trump keeps on boasting about America is the greatest nation on earth. But when it comes to like, you know, interest rates, then uh, suddenly it's like a uh, uh, scary elephant looking at a mouse. Well that's all we have time for, for today. Jazakallah for joining us. I make dua that whatever trading activity you got up to today is profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.